Money FM 89.3, best of the breakfast huddle. Mind your business with the breakfast huddle only on Money FM 89.3. Money FM 89.3. Good morning. It's The Breakfast Huddle. Elliot Danker, Bharati Jagdish and Ryan Huang with you. Mm, of course, more startups in Southeast Asia have attained unicorn status and it is being noticed. We're talking about valuations of 1 billion US dollars or more in the past couple of years. And this was, of course, driven by factors such as robust funding from the private equity markets and a rising middle class as well. So according to a report on ASEAN startups by Credit Suisse, in 2021 alone, 19 startups in the region saw an increase in valuation to above 1 billion US dollars and 15 startups in Singapore and 11 in Indonesia account for the huge share of the region's 35 unicorns. And among recent additions to our list of unicorns, of course, you would know or have heard of Caro and logistics firm Ninja Van. While this is all good news, it also shows that unicorns are not so rare anymore, right? We're seeing yeah. more and more of them. So what does this mean for all stakeholders? moving forward, the VCs as well as startups. We're joined now by Shannon Lee Chaluwanko, Investment Director at MDI Ventures. Good morning, Shannon. Hi, morning. How's everyone doing today? We're doing great. How are you? Good. Let's uh, start off, Shannon, by talking about MDI Ventures. We understand it's a multi-stage venture capital arm of Indonesia's largest telecoms company. You've got more uh-huh. than 800 million US dollars in assets under management. Okay, what else can you tell us? Well, we started in 2015 and actually we were 100 million fund back then. Now it's grown to 850 million and we're funded out of various SOEs, not just Telcom and other third-party LPs. Like you mentioned, we are full life cycle investors and so um, that means we invest from seed all the way to pre-IPO out of different funds. Most of the team actually sits in Indonesia, although we also have offices here in Singapore where I'm based and the US. And the other funds, which is our Seed Stage Fund and Early Stage Series A and B Fund, were things that we just launched in the past year. I'm sure that COVID-19 has influenced the way you invest over the last few years for your clients. Tell us more about the finer points of how your strategies and your approaches and thrusts have changed as a result of this. So our investments in the last year, of course, mirror our beliefs. So broadly, we have invested in the last year into social commerce. So um, a company called WeBuy here in Singapore and Evermost in Indonesia. FinTech is also really hot and we did Shomaki in Indonesia and we're working on closing another right now. And most recently, we invested into an tech company called ShakUp. And all of them have done really well in COVID. Previously, we used to invest a lot into B2B because we were new and it was something that was more evolutionary. And it also ended up being a big reason our previous fund did well. But we have also started investing more into B2C because we feel the time is right with better infrastructure and a better connected and educated market. And COVID, of course, has helped to accelerate that move, right, from digital for a lot of these small or individual users. So covered social commerce, fintech, tech, and those are some of our key pillars. These were about going digital and so it didn't change much during the pandemic, actually. But also things like building infrastructure, logistics, and the enablers. You mentioned earlier that NinjaVan um, has recently become a unicorn. And of course, like biomed, health tech has also been quite hot recently. So a lot of our portfolio companies have performed well on COVID. But although we invest in the same themes, we sometimes see that our companies need to evolve and still make small adjustments to the business. So, for example, one of our portfolio companies, WeBuy, used to be strictly group buying through group leaders, and then you pick up from those group leaders. 
Mm-hmm. It was cool that they had also introduced doorstep deliveries that are subject to a minimum um, because of social distancing rules and the number of gatherings permitted a day. So the group leaders can't just keep meeting people throughout the day. And then they also rolled out a video feature since people are spending more time watching and sharing these videos during COVID. And so, you know, increasing that human touch during a time of restrictions on our social interactions. And we see results with the company growing very quickly throughout the pandemic. And as you mentioned, um, a lot of companies became unicorns last year. So there are a lot of industries that have been performing well, even during the pandemic or even benefiting from it. And some of it will go away when the pandemic ends, but some of it will stick because people now see what can happen in work from home across industries, even if it's been out of necessity. Mm. And Mm. one big thing we're realizing is that people want to meet in person, Mm. although not necessarily always in the office or virtually. So although a lot of focus recently has shifted to digital and it's it's already been the case for the years before, doesn't mean that offline is dead. Digital businesses also need to think about how they're going to be affected if if and when this pandemic ends. So it's not even about being an online or offline business, which we hear a lot. Now that we all have a better gauge of what results from a pandemic, the businesses that we want to invest in, you know, of course, companies that enable navigating that, but we also want to invest in smart businesses that are able to show that they can adapt to similar challenges in the future in an agile and responsive manner. So it's not necessarily always going to be along verticals and teams. Those aren't necessarily going to shift also because of the fund mandates, but we want to invest in responsive companies that we trust can do well in and out of pandemics. Shannon, and, and on that note, I want, I want to tie it into the rise of unicorns in the region, right? You talk about responsive companies. It's quite clear that in the region, companies do see the need to respond fast. That's why digitalization. Mm. Give us a view of, you know, the, the sectors that we are seeing more unicorns in. And, and based on that, do you think this is becoming less rare, you know, less rare to find uh-huh. a unicorn now? Okay, so like the unicorns are not going to happen overnight. So unicorns that we see emerging today were things that were invested in a couple of years ago. A lot of them, of course, have seen a boom during COVID. Um, one of the one of them would be um, fintech and all the financial services platform. Actually, two of our portfolio companies, some um, fintech companies, became unicorns last year. So new, they used to be called Instagram. Another Credivo, a buy now, pay later company. And another one of our portfolio companies, MPL, which is a gaming and esports platform, has also seen tremendous growth in the last year and also became a unicorn. So anything that, the last year, I think the teams we see is that anything that has people online um, has done really, really well. So even Grab kind of has a fintech play, even though um, they call it an app of app, right? So those have done really well. And moving forward, they will still continue to do well. But, but in, in the coming years, once COVID ends, we'll need to see which, which of those hold. Yeah, because okay. like you said, okay. uh, while the solutions focus on immediate challenges, you do still need to keep an eye yeah. on the future, right? The enchantment could end <laughs> yes. since we're talking about unicorns. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and we don't live in a world of illusions. COVID could drag for quite a while more. It might end in another two or three years or it might not. So, yeah. I mean, it's something that none of us can predict. I saw a tweet yesterday, right? How do you feel that we're actually going to year three of COVID? Yeah. I mean, it, it's gone it's by. It's COVID-19. <laughs> so actually, you can say it's for here even. Oh, that's true. That's true. Does that change your expectation for 2022, Shannon? So a lot of it is also kind of determined by our fund mandate. So we already had a couple of 
things that we decided we're going to invest in and then um, anything else we invest in would be discretionary. And I think that depends. Uh, that's similar for a lot of funds, but of course then it would shape our for our next fund, like our future investment pieces also. Mm. Considering that there are more and more unicorns in the region, and mm-hmm. this is also bearing in mind what you said earlier about the fact that you know it, it takes time to reach that status. What exactly should VCs be doing at this point? Because there seems to be a lot, right? There seem to be Uh a lot of choices. So Mm -hmm. how can they best do their screening? Well, um, that usually is a standard investment process. So we would probably be meeting thousands, even companies a year. And then from there, we would do a first face-to-face or these days Zoom calls with the companies. And then we assess whether we want to take the companies or do a further diligence on the company. Usually at this stage, we would decide only maybe less than half of them would pass this stage. Then we meet the company, we do further diligence, and then ultimately we would invest in about maybe 1% of the companies we meet. Right. So So it sounds mm -hmm. like your screening process is quite rigorous. What criteria are you using? For a lot of companies, it's quite similar. So we would look at funds, it's quite similar. So we would look at the product and it depends on the stage that you're at. So, you know, if you're doing seed stage, say for a seed stage fund, a lot of it is about the people and the idea. Um, and then if you go later stage, then you start to look at the numbers, how the historical performance is quite important, but also what are their plans and their strategy for moving forward. And then also we would think about, because it's a fund and we still have to return it, then we have to think about exits. So is this something that's going to give our fund a good return? Mm. Shannon, but obviously everything has to work hand in hand in that sense. In your Mm. opinion, with the way things have gone the past two years, what does SGX need to do to stay ahead of the game? For SGX, they have been reaching out to a lot of the VCs because obviously a lot of the startups are starting to mature and ideally Mm -hmm. they would want to see the startups list locally. It's not just SGX. Everyone um, is trying to get these local Southeast Asia stories, success stories to list. I know it actually be great if we could see more of this happening locally, but I think at least initially we're still going to see more listings in say the US or dual listings um, just because there's a lot more liquidity or because there's more familiarity with tech stocks. But I think it'll come. It just won't be overnight. Mm. What about specifically when it comes to SPACs listings for the SGX? How far do you expect that to take off? And in uh, what measure of sustainability do you expect it to happen? So I don't think we would have like a grab size spec listing on the SGX. We might have a couple of smaller ones happen. Why do you feel that way? I mean, it's just liquidity. And also, I guess, like, you know, SGX is also quite strict with their criteria. Of course, like, uh, and that takes time to change and they have been reaching out and I think that will change. But I mean, that's not really um, something that, I, uh, I control it. <laughs> yeah, fair point. But another thing you can't really control is when COVID-19 will end. But what's being discussed right now among VCs looking ahead to this post-COVID world? We don't know when it's going to be, but what's being uh-huh. discussed? What are the expectations? What should Asian VCs especially? We, we've seen so much attention being brought to mm-hmm. the ASEAN region as well, right? So what should Asian VCs, you know, really keep an eye out for in that post-COVID world? I mean, you mentioned earlier on uh-huh. how some of these unicorns, whether or not they have staying power. Let's talk about that. I mean, what would ensure staying power in a post-COVID world? Being able to be responsive for us, yeah. so business as usual, right? 
and, and life still goes on for everyone, whether there's a pandemic or not. So okay. we're still going to continue doing our investments. There are things that are still going to be called, you know, there's Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Yeah. So there yeah. are things that people still need and still continuing to do, but then you might have to be a bit creative and being able to do it um, in different ways, which goes back to me saying that we want to invest into companies that are responsive. Let's talk about giving advice to startups mm. at this point. Mm-hmm. What exactly should they be doing to burnish their value proposition, so to speak, in light of the fact that we're also seeing Chinese VCs associated with tech giants who are moving abroad uh, because of the clampdown on conglomerates in China. And this, of course, could directly impact markets across South and Southeast Asia this year and next year. So in light of that, what's your advice for startups? Well, actually, for the startups, the great thing when you speak, there are a lot of Chinese funds and not just Chinese funds, but um, global funds coming down to Singapore. And partly um, it's because of um, how easy it is to set up. Well, I wouldn't say how easy it is, but it's relatively easier to set up a fund here in Singapore than other jurisdictions. Um, that uh, the certain tax exemptions in place that people can apply for. So a lot of funds are coming down here and it's actually great for the Southeast Asian startup ecosystem. And for the startups, it's good because you have more access to capital or more potential funding sources. Of course, things are also getting more crowded. I think what we saw is that a couple of years ago in each category, maybe you would only have like one or two companies. Back then we had Grab, Gojek, and maybe a couple of smaller ones. If you look at somewhere like China, you probably would have 10 companies each category and now in Southeast Asia we would have we would start to see more companies per category also but since there are also more funds I think people would um, back their winners so I think it would take longer now for a strong winner to emerge it's not going to be at a pass where there's just going to be one dominant player so I think startups would have to pay attention to that that competition is going to be more intense and I think it's quite interesting to look at I guess the the overall map, and I think we would see uh, more mergers happening. But yeah, I think we'll see more of that happening. All right, we've been speaking with Shannon Lee Chaaluanko, who is investment director, yeah, NBI right. Ventures. <laughs> Thank you, Shannon. Oh, that's the best thing to happen to me today. You take care <laughs> and you stay safe. Yeah, I rehearsed a lot on that one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.